Oddball Show, a podcasting collaboration, JP Live Productions, and Oddball Magazine. Welcome all ye plebeians, plutonians, pirates, pilots, and participants. This is indeed the Oddball Show. Back with our first podcast here in this brilliant new year of 2018, Anno Domini. My name is Prof. I'll be your switchboard operator for this long-distance call, and I represent the Boston hip-hop garden known as JP9 Productions. Of course, we couldn't have the Oddball Show without the OO himself, the founder and editor-in-chief of the living, breathing poetry organism that is Oddball Magazine. <laughs> Please say hello to Mr. Jason Wright. Hey, everybody. Happy 2018. It's uh, really, we're, you know, really excited to be here. Prof, how you doing today? Feeling great, man. Feeling, feeling ready for a, 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 both a new year and a new spirit here in the Oddball Show. Absolutely. I mean, I feel very hopeful for this new year, definitely. I mean, we're, we are almost a full month into it, and um, we've already passed the anniversary of, um, of our uh, president shithole. But- yeah, little douche. <laughs> but uh, I, I see great things ahead. Uh, and, the, and the Patriots are uh, going to the Super Bowl for anyone who does appreciate a good uh, Patriots game. And we're two weeks away from another Patriots Super Bowl. That That is the right way to kick off the year. And the Celtics are doing great. I mean, this is – it's really – and I'm doing great, you know. And, and, and you're, you're doing great. great. And, and your baby's doing well, right? Indeed he is. He's, he's fantastic. And uh, I have a PlayStation 4 now. So, like, life is pretty good. Things are picking up, man. Not bad. Um, we are privileged to be joined this evening by Thomas Brown, a peer specialist with Bayco of Human Services, to talk us through some of the newest approaches and challenges in the mental health field, including the new ACCS model set to go into effect here in Massachusetts uh, in the early part of the year. I've also heard rumor that he'll be gracing us with a performance of Bring the Ruckus on Classical Trumpet, so you'll certainly <laughs> want to stay tuned for that. Uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, and all the ships at sea, please give a warm oddball show welcome to Thomas Brown. Welcome, hey, bro. Hey, Jason. Hey. Good to be Good here. Good to have you on the show, man. Great. Thomas, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. You bet. Um, we have a lot to talk about here on the show. There's a, um, a, lot of, uh, a lot going on here in the Massachusetts mental health uh, industry um and it's something that it uh mental health is something that's very important to us here at the oddball show it's a it's certainly a issue close to um, both of our hearts but especially jason um it's what he does for a living it's something it's it's one of his uh chief causes so i'm going to take a little bit of a backseat role tonight but i do want to kick us off with um just trying to ask what is it that you do as a peer specialist i know that's a pretty new role here in the mental health field or at least you know in the last decade or so um Let's, tr- let's talk a little bit to kick off the show about what a peer specialist is, why it's important, uh, why it's helpful, uh, uh, and what is it exactly that you do. Okay, absolutely. So, yes, it, it is a uh, pretty new uh, role in mental health. Um, the profession is really in its infancy. Uh, we've had peer specialists in the United States. I think our first peer, peer specialists were in Pennsylvania about 30 years ago. Um, and in Massachusetts, it's a much newer uh, profession. And in 2000, I believe it was 2009, DMH mandated uh, that we have peer specialists in our human service, mental health human service agencies. Um, so that's not all that long ago. And a peer specialist is somebody who has a lived history of uh, mental health challenges. Um, I, well, first of all, there are all sorts of peer specialists. You can have peer specialists who are cancer survivors, peer specialists um, who are amputees. 
um, all sorts of peer specialists. And so we have mental health peer specialists. And the peer and peer specialist means that you, we are one of you and you are one of us. Um, so we're people who've been there. We've really struggled. Uh, I myself have struggled uh, with the aftermath of really extreme uh, physical and sexual violence uh, for my first two decades of life, almost two decades. Um, and then I spent you know, decades more in recovery from that and will always be in recovery from that. But I'm doing really well right now. And so those of us who have chosen to disclose our, our mental health challenge, the nature of it, uh, some of the details of that, then reach out to other people who are struggling um, and support them around that. And it doesn't necessarily mean that we're reaching out to people who are doing really badly to help them bring them to where we are. It's more that we're reaching out to connect and to humanize that person. People with mental health challenges are often some of the most highly um, discriminated against people uh, in our culture. And there's a lot of fear. There's a, lot of, a lack of understanding. Um, so these people are living often on the margins of civilization and culture. And what we help do is to reconnect people uh, to humanity. And that's a pretty important task. Um, none of us like to be separated from other people. And so we really work to bring people back in. Um, and then there are times also when we work with people and we're supporting them to um, actually come along a little way. People who've given up hope in their lives, we can uh, be the evidence that there is hope, that there is meaningful recovery. And so we offer that hope and offer ourselves as evidence that a kind of meaningful life is possible despite the challenges we've lived with. I mean, it, it, to me, it seems like that, that last piece that you mentioned is probably one of the most powerful, right? That he, just in, in building that relationship with whoever it is that you're you're working with to be able to see somebody who uh, has been able to recover and is in a position of being able to help someone else has to be a powerful example and a powerful tool. It is an incredibly powerful tool. I have seen over and over and over again, how people uh, have either listened to me speak or listened to other peer specialists speak. And suddenly for the first time in maybe decades or for the first time in their life have hope. Um, because they see us living lives, they see us going to work, they see us um, involved in really complex uh, aspects of our organizations that we work mm, for, yeah. um, and doing really amazing things in the world. And I think often, um, unfortunately, there's this kind of stigmatization that happens with mental health uh, that tells people often that they can't do those things. So people are struggling from inside you know like for instance somebody has a lot of trauma they're struggling with the, the pain the suffering the horror often of that but then they're also struggling with what's coming at them outside and so from both places we've got this hopelessness um sense of hopelessness that comes in uh and we can help with both of that i think seeing us be successful in the world uh tells people that that stigma isn't quite as powerful as they once thought it was mm. Um, but you're absolutely right. That's a really powerful moment for most people. Absolutely. And to chime in, uh, as a, a peer specialist myself, um, uh, there's a value um, of uh, being, uh, you know, not only um, someone with lived experience, but also working with people um, who might find that, they, that they've been in the system for a long time and um or they feel like they have challenges of their own and you kind of you kind of give a a layer of hope to them um and i think one of the 
big uh, powers of peer special, uh, you know, the peer specialist profession is giving that hope to people. Um, that I that that's what I've noticed yeah. uh, with the Absolutely. with the work that I've been um, doing as a peer specialist myself. Right. Um, Absolutely. You know. And and to, oh, sorry. Just to ex- oh, could you could you explain what the system is? Because a lot of people. Oh sure. Uh, good good question, Thomas. So the question the the system I I would say and you can. Um, uh, elaborate on this would be the uh, the mental health care system, um, or maybe the judicial system, or maybe any kind of system that uh, people are kind of put in. Uh, society in itself is a system, and when you fall outside of that system, whether you have a mental health challenge or you have a, a quarry or whatever, you know, whatever. Sometimes you need support. Um, not, but not everyone uh, that who not everyone who um, has a mental health challenge is, is someone, um, that, uh, you know, there's, there's people who are creative, brilliant people who struggle or live with a mental health condition, such as depression or anxiety, or they hear something that isn't there and we label them or, um, society labels them as, uh, some, someone, uh, who's, you know, a, a, an oddball basically. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you exactly. know, and, Nicely um, done. <laughs> and, uh, and, <laughs> and basically, um, us oddballs, um, uh, uh, or, you know, whoever, uh, you know, whatever they want to define themselves as, um, could, uh, very well be, uh, someone who's, uh, brilliant, uh, ingenious, uh, whatever. I work with someone who, um, has, uh, uh issues dealing with, uh, extreme collecting. And I told him that it wasn't the extreme collecting that is his is his problem. It's all the things that surround him that make him what it makes him. I mean, there is no problem. There is no problem with what he what he goes right. through. It's right. all the things that he does that makes him who he is. And it and he 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 says what is a problem. What around it is actually really wonderful things. Um, right. The fact that he's creative, that he likes projects, the, the, these kind of things, you know, uh, th- this is a really ingenious kind of person, but he's been labeled as something that he should be ashamed of. And um, I think one of the things a, a peer specialist does is is to take away the shame of having a mental health challenge and also show the pride of having one. And I think yeah, that's kind of... Absolutely. You know, now, and I, I love what you're saying. Um, going back to uh, systems. So systems have struggled to figure out how to help people with challenges. And at times, you know, they've been really heroic and other times they just couldn't figure out, you know, how to help best. And so sometimes that not knowing how to help has translated into oppressing people mm-hmm. um, because they, they feel like they were doing the best they could. And it still ended up being oppressive for uh, a person. There might be judgment or discrimination. And what we do as uh, peer specialists then is that we go into that gap of information and we bring the information that's needed to help the person. And so something like what you were talking about, somebody who collects a lot of things. Uh, so, you know, the DSM, DSM is going to label that as something that's a pathology. Whereas we look beyond that, we look at the life meaning, the context behind that. Um, and we look at all the different meanings that are possible in that. And that's the kind of information that's uh, often missing uh, within um, traditional care. Um, and, and I'm finding that organizations are um, 
can be really grateful to have that information from us. Thomas, can you talk a little bit about how uh, being inside the system but not of the system is important as a peer specialist? Absolutely. So we're here to collaborate uh, within our organizations. And um, but at the same time, we have different values, different principles. We've got a lot of shared values, a lot of shared principles. But we also have a different perspective because we've lived this. We've been through it. I know myself, I've lived through different parts of the system. Um, and there were places where I needed things to be better um, because I went about uh, over two decades not really getting the help that I um, needed until I was able to find out how to give that to myself. And then I was able to tell my providers what they needed to give me. Um, so, so we're in the system, but we're not of the system, meaning that we aren't necessarily a part of that traditional system. We've, we're a new profession with our own code of ethics. Uh, that Again, there's a lot of overlap, say, with a clinical um, person's code of ethics. Um, but there's a lot there that isn't there. Um, and traditional uh, mental health providers. So one thing that's really big is mutuality and practicing mutuality. Mm-hmm. Um, this is absolutely the work of a, a lifetime. Mutuality, what that refers to is that we're on the same level on the playing field. Um, not one of us is in a higher position than the other person. And peer specialists really, really work to protect that. Um, because it's being on the same level where we start really connecting with the other person, where the other person feels safe, feels that we're safe, and feels like they can begin opening up to us and they can begin receiving support from us. <clears throat> and often in, in tradi- traditional psychotherapy or psychotherapy, uh, psych- psychiatry, um, there's this uh, kind of top-down, in the same way, uh, kind of a bureaucratic management style. Um, that's a little too harsh. I don't quite mean that it's Therapy is bureaucratic, um, although it can be. But the therapist is sitting from a position of not having to disclose, of not having to really show their warts and their scars uh, to the person. And the person is down there, you know, showing all their warts and their scars. And so some therapists are just amazing artists, and they do that really, really well. And they lower, you know, that level um, they lowered the play or even the playing field more, but it's too often too common in therapy that that doesn't happen. Um, and so what happens is the person goes away feeling that they're somehow less than the other person who the therapist who has all this information is, is remote and, you know, is all together. Um, and it's just not true. That doesn't reflect reality. No one is all together. No one has survived life. You know, if you've made it to birth, you've, you've had some kind of trauma already. Um, and, and so it creates kind of an artificial relationship. They're relating to somebody who's being a little artificial. And often the interpretation for the person being supported is that they're less than. So there are lots. Yeah, go ahead. I absolutely agree with that statement. I love how you said warts and scars, which could be considered beauty marks. And I thought of that. Um, But um, I definitely think uh, what you said about the level playing field of a therapist versus uh, someone seeking services, it's not there. Um, You go into a therapist's office and I, I, you know, I have a, a great relationship, I guess, with my therapist, but I sit there and I talk and I say all my personal stuff and I don't know anything about this person. Whereas in um, peer, peer support, right. Uh, right. there's a level of mutuality right. there. Um, right. there's, there. There's a little bit of transparency. Right. And I think in, in the mm-hmm. clinical world, there's no, there's no transparency. I mean, is right. that the Yeah. Right. Right. 
Um, I've spoke with doctors who've made me feel a lot less than after leaving the office, and that's yeah. not yeah. help. Yeah. That's not, not help. No. <laughs> right, absolutely. Help is not helpful if it isn't helpful. Exactly. Um, so if therapy is actually making you feel worse or a doctor makes you feel less than or makes you feel right. kind of stupid, right. um, that doesn't make you at all uh, and, and also, it doesn't bring you towards that level of recovery that everyone's kind of searching for, you know? Right, absolutely. And just want to be clear, this is not about trashing psychotherapy. <laughs> no. It's about, it's about being a little critical of the system that's been going on for over 120 years um, because there are some flaws in it, and it's really important uh, to acknowledge them so that we can provide much better support for people. Absolutely. And to, to go on that, um, I would say that the uh, that the – a lot of the the people who are in human services generally care about the people yes. that they yeah. that they work with. I'm just saying that um, there is definitely uh, some some um, you know there's right. not always a lo- level playing field, and uh, and with the peer specialist role, it's much more a, a sense of mutuality with absolutely, um, the absolutely. That, I yeah. I think you know good therapy and more mutual therapy is completely possible, and if people are interested in seeing examples of that, uh, go look at uh, uh, Dan Mackler um, on mm. doing psychotherapy and trauma and healing uh, because he was a psychotherapist for 10 years. He's uh, he's a filmmaker now. He wrote and directed a film on open dialogue in Finland. Um, and uh, he also wrote Take These Broken Wings, a beautiful film. And um, what, what about William Hall? Wasn't he also... Um he, he isn't he also uh, was he a th- uh, some clinical person? I know he. Uh, you know he, I'm I'm not familiar with. Him. Oh, I'm, uh, he uh, I'm very uh, I'm very fond of William Hall. He's part of Madden America, and he writes. Oh yes, 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 right, America. of course, right, okay, and, absolutely, uh, yeah. He wrote a book, uh, kind of like it's called like Outside This. Uh, I forgot what it, uh, you know. Honestly, I should should have came with this, but uh, it, it was a book that um, I was at the Alternatives Conference and. Um, they were, they were, uh, there was a free download of it. And oh, uh, I forgot the book. It was like outside voices or something like that. And it's about right. voices outside of the mental health system. So he also has a, a clinical role or, or he did, or he's a therapist or something, but he does lend that, um, right. pure, uh, you know, pure voice. And I think people with lived experience sometimes make the best, uh, you know, sometimes they make the best, uh, so, uh, uh, therapist or something. Because well, they, it's, you know? that's a really important point. Um, so, what we're seeing in the newer ethics books and social work and in uh, licensed mental health counseling, um, we're seeing those ethics books um, encourage therapists to expose themselves a little more, to get a little more comfortable talking about some of the experiences they have in life, they've had in life that can are you know resonate with the people that they're supporting or they're giving therapy. To and what they acknowledge is that it is the peer support movement that has showed how important that can be, because there's research showing how powerful our health is and how much it helps, um, and how much living experience uh, has has helped. And this whole idea about uh, not being um, a human being and not exposing that to to the person you're supporting. It goes way back, and it goes back to the very beginning of psychiatry when psychiatrists really wanted to be medical. They wanted to have recognition. Mm-hmm. They wanted to have status, and they thought that the way to do that was 
to look like medical doctors, and all of them were trained as medical doctors. Um, and so it was the patient, and it was the helper, the healer, and the and the patient. Um, and so this whole idea of being distanced from the person that you're you're working with, being the god of, of knowledge, um, that that started you know so long ago, before the end of the. Uh, the 19th century and it's just been handed down and somehow this this idea that you can't be fully human with a person uh, was reiterated over and over and over again and one of the the leading um phrases that i hear is that you don't want to make the session about you you want to make it about the person Mm. and so that was used over i mean that's what we've heard for like the last 30 40 years Mm -hmm. don't make it about you it's about the person if you talk about yourself you're going to make it about yourself and you'll ruin the therapy session and that's really true and like somebody who's like a real extreme narcissist you know that's that could be dangerous in a, a therapy session the person could go in and all they do is talk about themselves that would be really sick therapy. Um, but the truth is, I think that that phrase, don't make it about yourself, was re- really came out of fear. I think that often people who are um, doing psychotherapy, who are teaching psychotherapy, are afraid of being really vulnerable in front of the person or maybe in front of lots of people. Um, because when we're vulnerable, we really have to step deeply into our humanness. Um, and that kind of exposure often doesn't feel comfortable for people. And I'm not saying there's anything nefarious in that. I don't think that anybody's conscious of doing that. It, it's not something that people sit down and plan to do to other people. But I think that that's some of what's there and why that, that you know, uh, um, that adage is there, not making the session about you. And what peer uh, work did it came along and it said wait a second we're talking about ourselves and instead of making it about us it makes it possible for the person to heal and to be themselves and to reconnect with another human being it makes connection possible thomas um what you said about peer specialist support um now i met i i've seen you uh, uh luckily uh well i first of all my my company uh, allowed me to go to the recent a recent conference where you were giving a lecture or a symposium or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, on trauma informed care, can you tell me how trauma informed care can kind of be uh, like a good uh, um, uh, a good tool of peer of of being a good peer specialist? Oh goodness, yeah. So, well, first of all, um, just to. Uh, correct something, not to correct something, but to address something. So I, I tend not to use the phrase uh, trauma-informed care because oh, yeah. that that word, I use trauma-informed support. Instead. Oh, that's much better. Yeah. Yeah, because that trauma, the care, you know, that implies that, again, the healer and the, and the sick one and taking care of the person who can't take care of themselves when we really want to encourage people to take care of themselves. That's, that's, that's interesting because um, it's, it's funny to change it from care to support because it actually changes – the whole uh, the whole dynamic of Absolutely. care to support where you are not um, the, you know you're not you know care is is different from support. Can you just elaborate real quick on what's the difference between care and support? Sure. Well, one thing that we do that um, unwittingly uh, causes a lot of harm is that we have this often um, in all sorts of uh, uh, service uh, vectors. We have this idea that caring for the person is the way to help the person. 
Um, and then often in mental health, that becomes a kind of paternalization. We become parental uh, toward the person. And when we do that, we really are, again, you know, putting in our, our putting ourselves in a position over the person. And we mean well. We mean to help the person. We, you know, sometimes we feel helpless and helping the purpose is really um, living an extreme life experience. And so we, we take care of them. We take care of them. Um, and superficially, that feels good for both parties. The person offering the care uh, feels good about themselves. It's, it's virtuous. They're doing what they feel is a really good service. And the person being taken care of who is so afraid of what's happening inside of them or outside of them, it feels good to them also. For momentarily, it feels safe. But when you do that over and over and over, sometimes for decades, um, what happens then is the person who is taken care of learns that, there's, that they are dependent on care. And that's not safe. It is not, I mean, for short periods of time to be dependent on care um, is important. And, you know, it's a skill that as humans, we need to learn because there are going to be times in our lives, either in old age or um, when we have a high spinal cord injury, where we're going to have to learn how to use being taken care of. But for the most part, we need to be taking care of ourselves. We need to be paying really closely closely. Uh, to what our needs are, and then reacting to those needs and giving ourselves what we need. That's just that's just life. Um, and we take that away from people when we provide all the care. So, Thomas, um, would you say the difference is self-care and um, – uh, is there a difference between self-care and self-support? <laughs> you know what? I've never thought about that before. Um, I don't think there is. Mm. I, I guess because you, I mean, you should care and support yourself, right? I mean, we, yeah, I think we're talking about care of ourselves. That's that's the use of the word that is really appropriate. We're taking mm-hmm. care of ourselves. We always need to be taking care of ourselves. Absolutely. So when you say um, having uh, coming at things with a trauma informed uh, attitude, or, uh, or or just being trauma informed um, as a uh, as a tool for, um, I mean, I guess it wouldn't be. I mean, it would be your self care. Uh, to be to be knowledge of your own trauma, right? But um, more, more. Let's talk more about what what it is for someone to be yeah. trauma informed. Okay, for list uh, trauma informed means to be historical in your relationship with another person. In other words, you create a meaningful connection with that person and you learn about them. You'd be really, really curious, just like you would with any other person that you care about in your life. Learn about them, what happened to them, how did it affect them? What did that lead to? How did it uh, affect their lives now? You know, how they're living their lives um, or not able to live their lives. And you'd be really curious about that. And when you have that kind of information, your interactions with that person are really respectful. They're very supportive. Um, and they're, they're deeply meaningful, and that person understands that. You've got much lower levels of judgment. You've got much more accurate interpretations of the person's behavior. And a really good example of that is to think of a person who is late for work often. Mm-hmm. Okay. So without knowing anything about that person. Who has a podcast called The Oddball. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, Just kidding. I, I'm very timely. Very popular. Yeah. Um, we don't have to be <laughs> um, because I'm, I'm often not, I often uh, struggle, you know, in the mornings uh, with panic. And so it's really difficult. I, I can do it more and more and I'm getting better at it, uh, but hitting that target uh, 
deadline for beginning work. Um, so I have accommodations to have a, a flexible work schedule. Absolutely. But so if you take somebody who is late for work and you don't know anything about them and say your supervisor has no curiosity whatsoever uh, to learn, no incentive to learn anything about them, you're very bureaucratic and you just say that that person just doesn't care, doesn't give a damn about their work. Uh, they don't care about building teamness. They don't care about all sorts of things. And that being late is reflective that they really don't like their work. They really don't like their job. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to bypass that person for promotions. I might treat them pretty badly because I, yep. I, I think they're kind of stinky. So that's one interpretation. That's an ahistorical interpretation of that person's Absolutely. behavior. If you go to the other side and you become deeply hearsay, deeply curious about that person. For me, um, you would learn that I have a ex- profound history of violence, 18 years of violence. That was like broken bones was kind of a, a weekly or monthly um, experience for me. I lived in absolute terror. There was sexual assault that lasted for about 10 years. Um, and so when I leave my apartment in the mornings, I'm leaving my safe space. I'm leaving my sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And suddenly all that trauma that hasn't been resolved yet flares up. And all I experience is terror. And that's a, a panic attack. That happens almost daily for me. And again, it's, you know, it gets better and better and better over time. And I'm much better than I was or I have much, much smaller panic attacks than I did five years ago. And if that supervisor then understands that, they're going to be willing to work with me because they see me as a human being. They see how hard I am working to contribute to my organization. Um, and they, they appreciate the fact that despite what I've been through, I'm still showing up. So that's the difference between, between not being trauma-informed and being trauma-informed. Mm-hmm. And you can you can take that example and you know apply it to all sorts of behaviors. Like you were um, talking about the person who collects a lot of stuff. What's the comfort in that? What's the need for it? Uh, it can yeah, be right. a million different things. But if you get to know the person, you'll find out, and you won't see, you won't call them hoarders, and you won't you know no, judge no. them as hoarders. Absolutely, and I think that's one of the uh, best ways of coming at any relationship is to be generally curious about the person that you're speaking with. Um, Absolutely. uh, Absolutely. Yes. uh, Not look just at the surface, but look beyond the surface. Um, Right. And, you know, and I just, I keep thinking, keep remembering, keep wanting to say this. So there's another thing that uh, peer specialists bring to the table. So we're, trained to be curious that's in our training i'm i'm one of the lead trainers uh for the certified peer specialist training in the state um we do that to the transformation center we have this amazing training uh that the peer specialists go through in the state and we're always teaching to be curious be curious find out about the person learn about the person it's all about that and when we bring that kind of training into the organizations that's something that we have to share and to teach uh, the organization so they can learn from us. They can learn this different way um, of, of relating to people and supporting people. And there are all sorts of things that are training that we bring that the organization they can benefit from because they can learn from it. They can learn from our example. Um, they'll see us being ways that they haven't seen people be before. If you're just turning in, this is uh, the Audubon show and we're speaking with Thomas Brown, uh, the Massachusetts Eastern peer network. Um, and uh, a peer specialist um, for the Eastern uh, Mass Peer Network. Um, Prof, what's going yeah. on? Chilling, man. 
I'm, I'm, I'm right here. This is the, probably the least I've ever spoken on a podcast, I and I love it, man. You, you guys are just going. I, I love everything about it. I think you're informing a lot of our listeners on some important stuff. Right. So right. there's there's absolutely no reason for me to butt in until until the proper time comes. I had a question. I did want to ask yeah. um, about a lot of what you're talking about. Seems like it's it's at the heart of the safety net outreach program. Is that different, or is that just kind of encompassing you know the work that you're doing? Oh. Um, so Safety Net Outreach is a team that I work on uh, okay. in my organization, which is Baco Human Services. Mm. And that seems to be – that seems specifically for folks that want to be outside of any kind of um, any kind of system. I, okay. Well, so, yeah, I can talk a little bit about that. So, there, you know, there are people um, using the system in all sorts of different ways. So some people like to – um, are, are very comfortable living more independently. And that's something, I mean, for me, that's kind of a, the vision I have for using mental health services is that people use them intensively for a period of time, but then they go on. Um, they gain the, the, the skill, they gain the whatever it is they need to get from the system, connecting to other humans, rehumanizing, feeling like a human again, um, or for the first time. They get all of that uh, during a shorter period of time from the organizations, and then they go on to live independently. Um, and there are programs uh, across the state that, that kind of uh, work with people at that level of transition. Um, so I think, yeah, for uh, safety net outreach, that was what uh, the team was. That was the the vision for the team. So. And and as and there's different uh, uh, different parts of. Uh, you know, there's different um, programs with um, with uh, within uh, that peer specialists are part of. Some people are part of uh, an emergency services team. Right. Uh, I'm I'm part of a a, a, a it's called a CBFS team. It's um uh, uh CBFS uh, flexible support pro- program yeah. where um because I guess it's consumer based flexible support program. I guess that's what uh, you would call it. It's yeah, community based um, community based uh, flexible support program where I work with a team of people uh, to work who who are picked by the person that we support to um, to work with them uh, specifically a an employment specialist or uh, someone uh, uh, or a resource specialist and um, so there's different types of uh, uh, you know uh, programs and uh, that that peer specialists are part of um, so. Uh, you know, it's it's always uh, it's interesting that you could find a peer specialist in, in an emergency room, or you could find a peer specialist, uh, basically in any kind of aspect of um, health and human services, right? Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, absolutely. Well, thank you for answering that question. Yeah. <laughs> um, this does seem like a pretty good spot, you know, as we get going in a in a good oddball show. Time flies by, so it seems like a pretty good spot to break into the middle, do a little um, uh, what's going on with our various websites break, and then come back and talk a little bit more. Um, Thomas started talking about his own personal history, so I'd like to talk a little bit about how you and Jason met and a little bit about Absolutely. how your, your individual histories influence your very important work. Um, and then whatever else we want to talk about. I know we, we have not yet spoken about what is going into the new ACCS model, so... We'll get, definitely get into that in the second half. But, Jason, you want to yeah. kick us off with what's going on at um, Oddball Magazine? Sure. Normally, we have this really cool sound effect, uh, Prof, that, that I can't really go without, uh, you know. But um, I'm going to have to try. Oh, it's yeah. Usually, 
<laughs> breaking news. It's like bum, 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 bum. Yeah. breaking news. Breaking news. <laughs> so uh, it's much more effective with the with the. the but you know, it really not, has a much bigger impact. I will just definitely have to. I have to go without it. Um, but anyway, uh, so. As you know, uh, if you've been listening to the Oddball Show uh, or if you're under a rock and you don't know, uh, we uh, we are part of um, Oddball Magazine and JP Lime, uh, our two um, vehicles for self-expression, I guess you would say. Um, Oddball Magazine uh, is uh, uh, oddballmagazine.com. And we're poetry, art, and entertainment for the masses, um, led by... Uh, Myself and my associate editor, Chad Parento, who, if you have been listening to The Oddball Show, uh, has been a frequent voice on The Oddball Show. Um, we have a lot going on today at Oddball Magazine, as usual. Uh, we have uh, from the Epic Autism Review, uh, which is Fleming Boburn's uh, column. Uh, uh, the Epic Auti- uh, Autistic Review is uh, Fleming's column that he speaks about um, any kind of... Uh, 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 kind of an opinion column. This one is about the Patriots. It's called Haterade, which is very uh, fitting for people who absolutely hate the Patriots. And uh, we, I can't understand it because they're my favorite team besides the Boston Celtics. Um, but, you know, when you're so good, people what's, – what's the term, Prof? Hate is going to hate, right? That's right. That's, that's all uh, they're going to do. Right? They're going to hate. And uh, they'll, they'll, they'll hate us in two weeks. Anyway, uh we also have uh, the jagged thought that I wrote this, uh, which is uh, consequently about the Super Bowl. Um, very quick, you could really fit it in a tweet, and actually, that's one of the lines in the poem. Um, and that was today. Um, we also had artwork by Bill Wallach. Uh, he's been a contributor of ours for the last year, and uh, he compa- he uh, paired uh, 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 with a poem by. Uh, and a poet named Sunil Sharma, and uh, it's getting a good response on the website. So we're really happy to have Sunil on the on the website. Also, uh, we have our weekly comic strip by Bill Harvey from uh, The Odds, making the serious delirious. Um, he's been uh, lately uh, talking about what goes behind the odds, what is making up, uh, what he, what is his thought process in making up his uh, comic strips, which is really great. Um, once again, if you just joined us, uh, we have uh, Wise Words with Bruce Wise every Friday. Um, he's, he's a fantastic poet. We were lucky that he would always submit to our, our, uh, our submission manager, which you are welcome to if you're listening and you want to submit to Oddball Magazine. You can just follow our submission guidelines or send me an email. Um, he would always submit these great poems, and I would be like, Bruce, I, I published you – uh, nonstop. Why don't you just become a columnist for us? And he not only gives us one poem, he gives us like six or seven poems in this little column that is literally a newspaper. Uh, which, if you go to uh, and see his banner, it's a uh, it's a newspaper uh, uh, newspaper column because Bruce has a very interesting uh, take on political events, uh, history. Uh, he's probably a uh, Prof, have you ever read Bruce Wise? He's probably the. Of course, the most, I have. We, we've we've published some of his content for you, dude. He's the most interesting person on on. Uh, I love his column every Friday. I mean, I'm in I'm in awe by how good this guy is, and the fact that he wants to be a part of our website is really great. So shoot, shout out to Bruce Wise, and finally uh, we had uh, our uh, the lovely Liza Zayas and the Underground Garden, uh, and uh, she's always been uh, a great uh, poet and. Um, promoter for the, the website and a wonderful person and uh 
And a friend also, of the Oddball Show. And a friend. Of, she's been on the Oddball Show uh, just about um, a couple times. Uh, you know, and she's she's a great person. And shout out to her. And also Janet Cormier and uh, Bamboozled No More. Uh, from uh, she's a Somerville artist and poet. Uh, as well as, uh, sorry, uh, James Van Loy, who's also a Cambridge poet and um, a activist who's been doing a lot of good work with us for the last couple of years now, um, I think. I think that's, oh, and there was last last week there was, uh, I got to give a shout out to uh, Dr. Regina Valuzzi, who's been with us since day one, and her um, she has paired uh, her wonderful work with a poem by Allende Bonifacio, as well as uh, uh, there was a poem by Holly Day and photography by Louis Lazaro Tyarina. So uh, that's what's been going on last week at Oddball Magazine. Um, Is that it? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> you, can, you can check us out uh, every day um, on Oddball Magazine. Um, you can, you can uh, uh, find us at www.oddballmagazine.com. And, uh, yeah, we're poetry, art, and entertainment for the masses. Definitely go check it out. Um, Boston has a great and live poetry scene uh, that uh, Chad Parento is a very big part of. Oh my um, God, yeah. uh, and Oddball Magazine connects with a, a, a great many of the people within that scene. So definitely come check them out for the Livest Poetry Magazine on the Eastern Seaboard. Um, over at, uh, what's my thing called? Uh, JP Lime, yeah. <laughs> we are, uh, we are. Your World with the Crunchy Hip Hop Center at jplineproductions.com. That is J-P-L-I-M-E. Um, we are a Boston hip hop production company, and our website is JPL Magazine, where we write about hip hop, we write about TV, and we bring you some of our own content, music, and videos. Um, we're getting ready for a strong 2018. Um, we kind of petered off in the end of, of 2017, uh, but we're Coming back strong, we have this week the my article I read a lot about um, comic book TV shows and other things related to uh, that kind of nerd world. So my article this week is uh, about Agents of the Shield. They are uh, it's uh, every Friday night, but they are currently stuck in uh, a weird multiverse, clashing timelines. Uh, so they, it's a very interesting season. I think it's their fifth season. Um, I think they're six, seven episodes in. It's a very interesting season of a, a show I like a lot. Um, and so my article this week will be about um, them being stuck in uh, separate timelines. Um, we also, this year, we're going to be working hard on uh, one of our our um, creators and originators is uh, Spaceman. He's got a new thing called 1981 and Co. He is a, uh, an amateur photographer and uh, we'll be running a, a weekly column on 1981 and co bringing you some of his paintings and photography um, and getting you in touch with how to, how to get more from him. Um, we're also bringing uh, our good friend DJ LSP back for his weekly um, LSP throwback Thursday, where he brings you a new hip hop beat every week for your freestyling and entertainment pleasure. And then this week um, I put up our, what you need music video. So that's a music video from JP nine productions and, uh, we're in the spot that usually would be our monthly rap flashback. So right now you can check out our music video for what you need. You can also find some content from our new, um, our new duo called Tyler Durden. That's um, an MC and a bass guitar player who killer band, some by the way, killer pretty, band, pretty funky stuff. Um, you can find them in various uh, places in and around Boston, uh, including the Burn Open Mic. They've been known to frequent, and that is pretty much an, an acoustic open mic, and they show up with. Um, uh, an electric bass guitar and a rapper. So that's a lot of fun. Uh, 
But we do a lot of different things at JB9 Productions. Please come and be a part of it. Come and, and learn about what we're all about. There's a live, very live um, hip-hop scene going on in Boston, and um, we'd like to try to connect you with some of the pieces of that. Uh, so come check us out, jplineproductions.com, your world with a crunchy hip-hop center. Absolutely. And uh, if you're uh, listening, and uh, we're sure you are, uh, take your time. You uh, are. Go, <laughs> go to iTunes and write us a review. Uh Tell us what you think of the Oddball Show. Tell us what you think of the guests that have been on the Oddball Show. Tell us what you think of this podcast uh, with with Thomas and uh, and uh, and and uh, what is going on. We love to hear your feedback. Um, so yeah, please write us a review. Please write us a review. Do it. It's fun. Do it. Do it now. Seriously, do it. Just do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is the Oddball Show. We're here tonight with Thomas Brown. You can find actually the Oddball Show while we're here on that topic uh, on iTunes, on Stitcher. You can find it live on our YouTube channel, on the JP Line Productions YouTube channel. You can also find it at jplineproductions.com and Oddball Magazine, all at the exact same time through the power of the internet. So, power uh, of interweb. thanks for tuning in and uh, tell your friends. Write a review. Tell your friends and write a review because we uh, we love to. Uh we love to do this, uh, you know. Uh, we do it uh, because we feel like we have a lot of. Uh, There's a lot of interesting people, a lot of interesting people with a lot of interesting stories, and we like to bring you an interesting story. And right now, we have an interesting story with Thomas. So, welcome back, Thomas. Um, hey. Uh, so, yeah, we were talking uh, earlier about trauma-informed care, and um, I know that uh, when I saw you last, uh, we saw you at the MassPro conference. Right, and uh, you you told us uh, you you told us a little about your recovery story, and if and if you want to go into that, we would we'd love to hear a little bit about it about, okay. about your journey. Sure, absolutely. I'll just give you an overview. Um, so I was born into a family of violence, and uh, for uh, eighteen years, my first eighteen years of life, there was, every single day it was violent. If it wasn't physical, it was emotional, verbal, um, and. I, as I was saying before, there was 10 years of uh, sexual assault in there too, um, which occurred uh, two or three times a week over a 10-year period. Um, and to, I, I often try to um, help people understand the magnitude of that and children or adults who went through that as children, children who are going through that. Imagine um, being raped uh, one time as an adult. We know that that is going to change the trajectory of a person's life. But imagine children going through that, uh, you know, throughout uh, childhood, time after time after time. Um, we really have to have compassion uh, for people who survive that kind of trauma. It's just the most heroic, uh, heroic thing in the world uh, to survive that and then try to create a life worth living. Absolutely. And it is possible, and I'm the evidence for that. Uh, my life is very well. Living now. Um, so I lived in terror, uh, just for almost two decades. Um, I got a scholarship to the Boston Conservatory, came out to uh, study music, and then I, I started having symptoms. Uh, when people are surviving violence, they're literally surviving, especially when it's happening on a daily basis. And there's not time. Oh, there. sorry, uh, Thomas, it looks yep. like we're having a little bit of a um, problem with your mic. Let's fix that and have you run back to the last thing you said. I don't want anybody to miss um, uh, anything about your story. Uh, yep. oh, get huh? you there, Thomas. Up, uh, Thomas. Uh, um, you just you just have to go back. All right, to- well, while we try to correct that mistake, and I'm sure we'll find out by Thomas jumping right back into the conversation here. We are talking with Thomas Brown, uh, 
peer specialist for the Bayco Human Services. Um, uh, Jason, and you want to talk a little bit you know about, little about can't react, uh, how you two met sure. and what, what in our own voices means? Uh, sure, yeah. So I met Thomas at uh, a program oh. called In Our Own Voice. Um, it's a program that uh, I met. Uh, it's part of NAMI, uh, which is the National Alliance of Mental Illness. Um, uh, and basically, uh, before that, we uh, we were uh, with the In Our Own Voice program. Uh, we, Prof, can you hear me? Hmm. Okay, looks like it's my floor right now. So anyway, a little bit about my recovery story um, and how I met Thomas. So Thomas and I met at uh, a In Our Own Voice uh, uh, workshop. Uh, before the In Our Own Voice program, um, I, was, uh, I had no idea that peer support even existed. I had no idea that uh, there was anyone else uh, out there who was dealing with a mental health condition like I was. Um, I mean, the way I dealt with it was through Oddball Magazine, writing poetry and, um, and you know, writing, writing with headphones on the train because I was so anxious all the time. Um, and I found out that there was this uh, program called In Our Own Voice. And when I, with the program In Our Own Voice, uh, I met Thomas. And um, through In Our Own Voice, uh, we go and we speak with um, many, many. We have the opportunity to speak with uh, ho with hospitals, with students, with police officers, with uh, uh, nurses and faculty, with me mental health services, with hospitals, um, with 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 people. Um, who would generally not know anything about what it's like to live in recovery with a mental health condition. And this is a great program that uh, in our own voice is uh, And a shout out to Eliza Williamson, who um, I first met uh, at the NAMI program. And I'd love to have her on the show. Cause I think, you know, it's a great program. Uh, so yeah, so that was, you know, when me and Thomas first met, um, you know, and we kind of went on our separate paths. Um, but, you know, the thing is, we both have our recovery stories. And I think uh, when I first became a peer specialist, uh, one of the things that you do, uh, you uh, want, you learn is to tell your recovery story and, um, and learn to, to, to know when it's, when you should tell it and when you, when it's, when it's very, going to be very effective, you know? Um, so that's kind of, the uh the basis of being um i don't know when you're when you're when you're i guess when you're being uh you know you're being a little bit vulnerable i think people tend to to listen uh, it can really be uh helpful in situations uh like uh when some when when someone is when you can relate with someone um or when you are in uh like a staff meeting or something and, and you can relate to uh, and kind of show the, the worldview of the people that we support. Um, you know, I think that's important. So um, yeah. So I don't know what actually happened with the audio. I'm still trying to figure it out. I, it says that we are 
um, going, but apparently I lost both Prof and Thomas. So um, I can hear Thomas. Oh, good. Okay. So Thomas, Thomas, can you turn your mic up a little bit? Sure. A little bit more. Oh, Thomas, thank you. That is an example of peer support. Oh, boy, that was rough. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, cool. So you were talking about <laughs> an example of peer support is when you have to go on the mic because right. your mic drops and you have to fill the time. That's kind of an example of peer support, and that's kind of what we just did there. Very nice um, work. I could hear you the whole time. <laughs> really, huge shout-out uh, to Eliza uh, Williamson. Oh, I, and, I, I She's great, isn't she? Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And she's doing such a fantastic job uh, in our state, in our region, um, and getting people, supporting people to get out there and to to share their experiences and lower levels of stigma and judgment and oppression uh, in the state for people living with mental health challenges. Um, She's so passionate. She's so dynamic. I just have the, the greatest respect for her. Thomas, have you done a lot of in our own voice presentations since we last spoke? So, no, I haven't. Um, unfortunately, I've done uh, one or two, and they were pretty powerful. But one thing that I've um, expressed a huge interest in uh, is working um, with the police departments, and I'll, I'll start doing that next week. Well, um, you're a braver man than I, because that just, I mean, <laughs> I have no real reason to fear the police. I fear, yeah. you know, they're yeah. so, they can be so intimidating. But the thing is, uh, yeah. that's necessary because, you know, in uh, unfor- um, the NAMI program in our own voice has changed and shaped uh, people's per- perceptions Absolutely. of people with yeah. mental health challenges. Absolutely. And and one of the things that I I, I know from um, going to uh, this oh it was a, I don't know it was the state without stigma or the moving beyond stigma uh, um, presentation that was earlier in April um, that was in um, did, did you go to that it was yeah in- I did. Did you? Did you? No, I did not. Okay, I'll tell you a little about it. They were talking um, with – it was kind of more about the uh, opioid epidemic, which I think is, is, you know, the dual diagnosis is a part of, uh, you know, uh, mental health, right? Absolutely, absolutely. And they were talking about, um, uh, you know, how people – that there's like a whole unit that that you're supposed – that people – or a whole system or, or kind of a, a softer way of dealing with people who are also presenting with mental health challenges at the time. And I think that's good because sometimes, uh, you know, you don't know what you're going to get as a police officer. You know what I mean? Oh, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so one, one thing I intend to work, I think something I have a huge passion about is uh, working in prisons and uh, working uh, with the police departments to help, understand trauma and how trauma often plays a role uh, in acting out in, in violent ways. Um, there's, mm. you know, we are in our culture, we tend to have a binary understanding of uh, these experiences. They're good or they're bad. The person's good or they're bad. Um, and we often don't go in and contextualize that. And, you know, part of that, I'm thinking there was another school shooting uh, today in Kentucky. What, um, really? Oh, yeah. No, there, yeah. Um, oh my God! I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, it's definitely an epidemic. Um, and so, understanding why people um, uh, feel like they need to act out with acts of violence, and and hopefully to to prevent it. Um, but it's important. I think one thing for for me, growing up in so much violence, um, and somebody who's had a process a ton of rage out of my system, 
I have a, a really deep understanding of violence and some of the, the motives uh, behind it. And I really am working to uh, help people uh, bring that understanding to people working in prisons, people working in the um, police departments. Absolutely. And I think that kind of goes with that trauma-informed uh, uh, idea. You know, it if absolutely you, is. If yes. you can teach that trauma-informed um, care, in this case, I would say trauma-informed care, trauma-informed support to uh, you know, police officers that uh, knowing that the people that are that are uh, kind of when they because when you are a police officer, you're seeing someone at their worst point, and absolutely, and, no, and it, it, it's it's a rough gig. I mean, so you, you're there, gig. you've got to look out for the safety of the others, you've got to look out for the safety of yourself, and you've got to look out for the safety of the person. There's so much happening in such a short amount of time. Um, we're talking split seconds, and they've got to make these decisions. Um, and it, yeah, it's, I, it's just an incredible challenge. Yeah, absolutely. So you were telling us a little bit about, uh, in our own voice and in our own voice has a little bit of a fun part, uh, where it says, uh, kind of, so there's parts of in our own voice, uh, that talk about who you are besides, I mean, not Thomas, the person who has, uh, you know, gone through some trauma, but how about the person who uh, also, you know, trained as a musician or something like that? Can you, <laughs> yeah, it talks about the fun parts of, or or the the interesting parts about you, uh, you know, and lets people know. It lets people know that it's not Jason, um, you know, who has you right. know, bipolar right. disorder or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. In fact, you don't lead yeah. with that. You say you're a right. Celtic man or yeah. a Simpsons, <laughs> Simpsons yeah. guy or Johnny Cash yeah. or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, why don't you talk about a little bit what what's something that's not uh, about your tra- what's what are, what are some things yeah. you know what so is- the the opposite the opposite of my trauma was music um, I started at a really young age uh, just being completely uh, enthralled with music and uh, I started playing trumpet um, and that became the love of my life and I would just find myself playing for hours and hours every, every single day. And I became really good, it was a bit of a prodigy. Um, I had a lot of opportunities uh, when I was in middle school, high school, um, to get outside of my family, to get to outside of my home, um, mm. and be in different kinds of environments. And I often think that that's one of the things that really helped me uh, survive, what I survived, uh, was having music. And it was, it's just, just absolutely amazing for me. I still have that passion. I went on actually to go to conservatory um, and play for years uh, after that. Um, I still, I, yeah, I still have that passion. Um, and I don't have the time for it, though. Yeah, of course. Well, you're a very busy <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You do a lot, and you do a lot good for, um, for, for the community. And um, I know we didn't really talk about it, but do you want to talk about the Eastern Mass Peer Network in case people want to get involved sure, with it? Sure, absolutely. Um, so the, we formed the, the organizing uh, members of the Eastern Mass Peer Network, formed really um, in response to the RF, uh, the, um, oh, sorry, what is the RFI, sorry, uh, oh, yeah. response for information, the DMH uh, sent out to uh, human services agencies, looking at what they wanted to see in a, a new model of uh, health, mental health care provision services. Um, and so we, something that had not happened in the creation of CPFS is that there wasn't a meaningful pre- 
uh, presence and voice of the peer support workforce. And so what we decided is that we would really um, form an organization that would get a lot of the members, get a lot of people join. I mean, we went around just drumming up membership um, over a really short period of time, which was about uh, two to three weeks, and got people really interested. It got members in, uh, interested and people joined. And we started, uh, we combined with the Western Mass uh uh, recovery learning community and we got people across the state peer workers across the state to come together and say what they wanted to see in the new model and and sure enough uh, we got it um, and that was three times the number of peer support workers uh, on teams and agencies and protected roles also we wanted our we were often not I, I don't want to say misused, but kind of were um, we were um, co-opted to do work other than peer support work, which left us very little time to actually do peer support and do the thing that we had trained for, that we'd become professionals for, um, and to do the thing that really helped. And um, so we asked for that. Uh, we sent those are the, some of the, the comments we sent in for the RFI, um, and and we got that. We have a mandate to uh, protect the peer support roles in our agency. So the peer supporters do peer support. Um, so, and now Eastern Mass Peer Work Network, what we're doing is that we're dedicated to the professional develop, uh, development of peer support workers. Um, so we have trainings, uh, we offer trainings, we have uh, a weekly uh, peer support for peer support workers. Um, uh, call that our uh, people can come with issues related to the work or problems they're having or successes and talk about that. Um, and we have, uh, uh, we try to have uh, a couple of um, community gatherings uh, where we just have fun. Um, and then we also have a speaker series where people can learn uh, from people who've been in the field for a while. So, uh, okay, so um, the Eastern Mass Peer Network is also, uh, so anyone in the Massachusetts area, um, if you are um, a peer support specialist or want to know a little bit more about peer support, where can you find um, a little bit more information about the Eastern Massachusetts Peer sure. Network? Okay, so you can email us at um, EMPN, I, I'm sorry, 2017 EMPN at gmail.com and you can go to our website and find information about our weekly uh, peer support uh, phone call um, and you can become a member there and that's at E-M-P-N-E-T um, at uh, oh goodness what is it? oh I'm sorry I'm forgetting <laughs> or, um, oh I think it's just uh, EMP network Uh, dot org sorry org. right that's correct um and go down the bottom of the page to become a member okay well uh great thomas uh we're running down to the end of the hour as we usually do here at the oddball show when we're having a great discussion uh right now um we're going to go into a little something that we do uh with uh prof um uh it's called the list of 10 and he got it kind of from uh james lipton uh, who got it from some guy, okay. who got it from some guy, who got it from some guy. <laughs> and uh, Pro- and Prof really enjoys doing this, but uh, Prof has graced me with um, with this uh, this moment to do the list of 10 with you, Thomas, because uh, he has dropped out of the audio for some reason, and that's just how it goes with technology. Technology! Right. Anyway, um, 
So I'm going to go on with this list of 10, uh, Thomas. Are you ready? And usually Prop does a much better job at this, but I'm going to try, okay? okay. The I list of 10. And then right. he, he'll say the list of 10, and then I'll go, the list of 10. <laughs> and he goes, are you ready to go? And then he does yes, it. So, okay. Number one. I'll try and do it like Prof. So if you've been listening to before, you'll know how Prof does it. Okay. Number one. <laughs> I can't do it like Prof. Here we go. Number one. What time and place would you like to be if not here and now? I'll, to, I'll read it over again. So I'll read it in my voice. But that's how Prof reads it because he's okay. got a good radio voice. Uh, uh, Thomas, what time and place would you like to be if not here and now? Like historically? where would I Yeah, like, like historically. Oh, I would like to be in 2060. Uh, okay. I would like to see where peer support is. Wow, that's a great that's a great answer. Because yeah. we we all would like to see what what's going to happen in twenty sixty. Absolutely, uh, and yeah. I and I think there there should be great gains in the peer work by 2018, 2019, 2020. So by twenty sixty, maybe yeah. a peer will be in the White House. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> all right, number two. <laughs> what is the greatest advice you've ever received? Accept everybody. Accept everybody. That's wonderful. That's wonderful advice because uh, it is most important to accept everybody. It's yeah. good. Yeah. It's uh, hard work. Okay. It, it definitely is hard work. Yeah. Number three, what would your superpower be? My superpower? Yeah. Huh. You know what? I I kind of have it. Um, <laughs> and, you know, but – I, because I've worked so much hard, I've done so much research academically and I've worked so hard on myself around trauma um, that I, I really I have a knack for understanding people's trauma histories without a whole lot of information. Um, and often, I mean, even sometimes from the way a person walks, seeing uh, certain kinds of trauma that have affected them, like if it's really early or birth. Mm. So would you say your superpower is compassion? Um, well, sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. Great. This one, uh, let's see if you, uh, uh, number four, Biggie or Tupac? Notorious B.I.G. or Tupac Shakur? Uh, Tupac Shakur. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> as, as, as far as, as, uh, these two rappers go, Tupac is a, a genuine poet and I've always yeah. been near and dear to his story. Definitely. Biggie had Biggie had bars though. He really could run. He yeah. really he really could run. Okay, number five. Who is your favorite person? Alive or dead? Uh yeah. Either okay. Um, my favorite person. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's a really hard one. Oh, there's so many people. Oh, um, well, that's great. Huh. Wait. Give me a second on this one. Sure. You know. I, I would say my favorite person, there are so many people who come to mind. Uh, there are people living right now in the recovery movement. Um, I think of Sarah Davidell out in Western Mass uh, Recovery okay. Learning yeah. Center and everything that she's done for the community, which is really is extraordinary. So I'm stick with that one. So Sarah, if you're listening, Thomas uh, thinks you're his favorite person. So shout out to Sarah <laughs> Davidell. <laughs> okay, uh, this one is uh, a great question for you. Uh, number six, what is your quest? 
my quest is I am the Johnny Appleseed of trauma education. Oh, I am trying. By the time I die, I want this to be a trauma-informed world. I, I Man, Thomas, you are so inspiring. Okay, Thomas, <laughs> here we go. Uh, fill in the blank. All you need is? Love. Love. Okay, good. That is a good one. Yeah. So, so says Paul. So says Thomas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, number eight. Uh, rock, paper, or scissors? Scissors. Scissors. Uh, do, do you know why? No, I just use scissors to open some tofu today, mm. and nothing else works. So there might for me, it's paper because I'm a writer. But scissors is pretty effective when you're trying to get through <laughs> something. So, Absolutely. and I think that's what you're trying to do is trying to get through stuff. So yeah, uh, nice, as, nice. As in, like, cut down the stigma of mental health, and uh, and 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 yeah, I love it. So uh, I'll I think, definitely go with that. Okay, awesome. good. <laughs> uh, number nine, uh, Thomas. What do you want to be when you grow up? Huh. Oh boy. Wow. Um, wow. What do I want to be when I grow up? A writer. A writer. Okay. Yeah. Good, good, good. And uh, finally, Thomas, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear St. Peter say when you reach the pearly gates? Good job. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and that was the list of 10. <laughs> The list awesome. of ten. <laughs> awesome. uh, so, if you've been awesome. with us this long, you've been listening to Thomas, uh, Prof, and I uh, at uh, the uh, the Oddball Show. Uh, we are your uh, source for the most interesting people we can find um, who uh, have interesting stories. I think that's the theme of this show. If you've listened um, from the beginning, we've had poets, artists, writers, musicians people who are making great strides in the mental health field and anyone else. There's, Oh, uh, someone who works on Boston movies, Punji, shout out to Punji. We love having him. We've had our political guys on there. We've had comedians. We've had a lot of people on the show because everyone has an interesting story. And we want to thank you, Thomas, for being on the show today. Oh, it was um, a great pleasure. Um, oh, absolutely. You guys are doing really great work. I really appreciate it. Thank you for what you're doing for our community and our world. And I love your magazine. People <laughs> oh, thank you. Thomas, have you read the magazine in the past? Oh, I, well, actually, only in the past two months. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm in love with it. <laughs> fantastic. Thank you so yeah. much. Um, and uh, uh, Thomas, uh, we hope to have you back on the program uh, more. Right. Right. Um, I'd love to come back. You know, and uh, we want to thank you for being on the show. So, uh, you know, My pleasure. be on the show whenever you want. Thank you, Thomas. You're Take doing care. great work for, uh, for peer support, and uh, you're a wonderful person. You have a wonderful story. Uh, and uh, thank you so thank much you. for being on the show. Okay. Um, great so, pleasure. So uh, that was Thomas Brown, and we are The Oddball Show. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and um, on both our uh, Oddball Magazine and JP Line Productions. Uh, usually I uh, have uh, I close out with our jag my jagged thought, and I guess I will do the same today. So uh, Thomas, once again, thank you for being on the show. You bet. Um, it's been a real pleasure having you, and uh, you know, um, hopefully, you know, we'll have you on real soon. So this is um, our our last uh, the last minute of the show. It's called. Uh, 
the jagged thought of the of the you know it's my jagged thought it's my weekly jagged thought from oddball oddball magazine and um i'm gonna read it for you right now so here we go uh the the jagged thought is jagged thought 209 and it's called back very short here we go could fit in a tweet okay this is to all you patriots fans out there well, what do you know? Here we go. Another ride to the Super Bowl with the goat in the driver's seat. We're on to Minnesota. We'll see you in two weeks. Short and sweet. Fit this poem in a tweet. Brady Belichick rolling Amendola. Heading back to the Super Bowl. Yeah, sorry, Eagles. Hate to tell you. You don't have a chance in hell. Yeah, not with the goat drunk and Bill Belly. Nope, it's all over, kid. Super Bowl. Get ready. <laughs> <laughs> and that was Jagadot 209 back. And this has been the Oddball Show. Uh, so once again, um, thanks for being on the um, the program, Thomas. We really uh, awesome. appreciate it, and uh, uh, we'll we'll have you on real soon. So okay. uh, to everybody good. out there, be good. We'll see you real soon. And this has been the Oddball Show. Oddball Show, a podcast in collaboration with JP Live Productions and Oddball Magazine.